It's really good to be here. It's so great to worship too. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you for that. I love that song. All right. Well, my talk today, oh, I do have the slides. Great. I'm going to begin by doing something that surprisingly I've never asked of any audience before, and that is just to put your phone out of sight, you know, put it in your backpack or in your pocket, uh, just away for the time that I'm talking. And if you would, just uh, close your eyes now for a few moments and just take a few moments of silence just to breathe uh, so that we can be present here right now. It's, it's uh, hard to be present in a world of distraction. So if you close your eyes and just listen for a few minutes. These last couple of years have been really challenging, right, for all of us for a number of reasons, and you don't need me to elaborate on those. Instead, uh, as you breathe and with your eyes closed, just I'm going to list some common experiences that I want you to make a mental note of how many times or if you've thought or felt these things in the last couple of years. It's just to notice these feelings, not to pass judgment on them. They're all normal thoughts and feelings. They don't define you. But just in the last couple of years, how often have you felt isolated or lonely? Maybe an intense feeling of disconnect from others or from God. Maybe you've engaged in self-harm or some other addictive behavior so that you could feel something or escape. If that's the case, just make note of it. Don't judge it. Maybe you felt sometime fragmented or distracted, like you can't focus on one thing because you can't disconnect from a constant buzz of social media, or just thoughts in your head. Maybe you've felt fearful or unable to trust God, that God has your back. Maybe God feels vague to you or unreal, and you're beginning to doubt in ways that you've never doubted before, and that scares you even more. Or maybe you felt increasingly confused or anxious about your identity, maybe even your sexual identity, and you feel an enormous pressure from someplace, and you're not sure where the pressure's coming from to decide something about this. Or maybe you felt overworked, but also listless, Maybe you had to crawl to get to spring break. I've been there before. And now that you're back, you have no desire for classes or for work. The ancients called this acedia, sloth, but it's not laziness and it's not depression. It's a lethargy that's caused from working all the time and then finding that you don't want to do anything at all. Okay, so take another deep breath and open your eyes. If you're like most young Christians today, you've felt many of these different things or thought these things at various times, especially in the last couple of years with the COVID situation. And maybe you're feeling some of them right this second, and that's okay. Our thoughts and our feelings go, come and go like weather, and sometimes the weather hangs around a little longer than we'd like it to, right? But I want to say at the outset that the great lie of our age is that we are these thoughts and feelings. That's the great lie. It's a, instead of saying that we have these thoughts and feelings, those feelings and thoughts have us. Beloved, that's not true. We are not our thoughts and our feelings. Instead, hear what the truth, what the gospel says about each and every one of you. And I know you know this, but again, it's about reminding. You are a child of God whose great joy is in discovering the unique part you were designed to play in glorifying Christ through loving others. Your identity is in Christ, your creator, and the only true lover of your soul. 
I know you know this. Why do we forget it? <laughs> Why do we forget it? I'm glad you asked. This whole year I've been studying the concept of attention. That's what I'm doing. And here are some of the things that I've learned. The first thing, in the words of a prominent uh, neurobiologist, we are our attention. And the second thing, is that in choosing what we pay attention to, that's perhaps our greatest freedom as human beings. And then another essential freedom is how we respond to what we attend to. Your choice about what to attend to is perhaps your greatest human freedom. That's really profound if you think about it. So my primary goal this morning is to share with you three practices that involve your attention that I hope will help you to separate from all the noise and lies of our culture that you are your thoughts and feelings, and grow into an understanding of the divine love that will not let you go. That's the goal that I have for you this morning. The practices boil down to creating a space for stillness and silence, for attending to God and God alone. Now, I once heard a preacher say that if you feel far away from God, the temptation is to think that he's abandoned you, but he has not. God's right here. What you've done is turn your back to him. Your only job is to turn to face him. He's right here. You just feel he's far away. All you have to do is turn to face him. So why is that hard? It's simple, but it's not easy. Why is that? So let me take a, a moment to explain why that's, why, what's blocking us. The first thing that's blocking us is that our enemy is a noisy and wordy liar. Now, I'm not going to say that all the words running around your head are directly from our enemy, but I will say that our enemy delights in flooding us with as many random words and images as possible because they're distracting us. It's like a barrier between us and turning our face to God, to be open in stillness and silence. American culture is always telling you you've got to do more, be more, work all the time, prove yourself worthy, and you better look good on Instagram while doing it, Right? As a culture, even as a Christian culture, we have bought this lie completely, hook, line, and sinker, from our Puritan origins right up to the present day. Second, our advanced technological culture supports what Rowan Williams has called secular time only. And what that means is that our life rhythms are dictated to us, not by the church or by our relationship with God, but by a world that is open for business 24-7. Speed and instant gratification are the order of the day in secular time. Our devices, those things I asked you to put away, are designed to give our brains a dopamine hit every time we have a notification from social media or email or text or whatever. So you're constantly getting gratification from opening up that phone. It's a parallel problem, and I think this is actually profound when you think about it, to having too much food around all the time. We're constantly feasting and we're never fasting. This is a problem. What's this doing to our souls? Well, I don't have time to go into it today, but I, I would love to. But I think you know that having Turkish delight available to you every moment of every day is not satisfying. And it's actually making you a little sick to your stomach, if you're honest. Right? Too much. No. Feasting all the time, not fasting. I want to be very, very clear about this. This is not your fault nor is it a moral failing. These have been designed, these 
devices have been designed by companies to grab your attention and make you feel good while they're doing it. That's not your fault, but it is your struggle. This generation, it's your struggle. So these are the distractions. These are the things that keep us from, you know, facing God. So what are our options? Well, I'm not going to tell you to throw your, tone, your phone in the toilet, so don't worry about that. But the really great news is that there are spiritual practices that are ancient, that effectively counter this world of constant noise and stimulation. They are countercultural today and 100% necessary for your discovery of who you are in Christ. In short, for your joy. These practices are necessary for your joy. I'm going to focus on three, and I want to keep it very simple. First is the ancient practice of Sabbath rest. Okay, now I know you've heard this before, but stay with me. The other practices that I mentioned will not work without this regular reorienting of your whole week. This is not Sabbath keeping as a matter of obedience, but as necessary to create space to hear from God. Right? It's an opportunity to step out of secular time and into God's time. I could spend all of my time this morning just on the gifts of this practice and why we are tempted to abandon it, but right now I just want to challenge you to try it. Okay, I'm just challenging everybody in this room to try it this month. Okay? I'm going to trust that God will make it clear to you. And it's a very simple challenge. Just, you know, keep it simple. Stupid, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Dedicate a 24-hour period once a week in which you will do nothing that feels to you like work. I've done this since I was an undergraduate, and it has permeated my entire, it has reworked my faith. I can't even imagine being where I am today as a believer without this practice. If I did it, you can do it, okay? Um, and I almost always chose Saturday 5 p.m. to Sunday 5 p.m., and I just didn't do anything that felt like work. And during that 24-hour period, it's important for you to put away your phone, try to put it away, and definitely don't do email, okay? Because email is always associated with work, right? So just try, just try me on this. If you need to have community, then go to church, go with an open heart and no agenda except meeting God and loving others. But if what you need is time alone with the Lord, then stay at the Church of the Holy Comforter. Sleep in and listen to God, right? It's okay, our, our spirituality can become part of our performance, right? And, and that's the problem here. That's not listening to God. That's performing uh, spirituality. So just, do, just try this. I have so much more to say, but I want to leave you with a metaphor. Taking the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is a gift. It's like, let's say you're mowing the lawn. I'm not talking about a riding mower, but a, one of those that you have to hold the handle down. You know what I'm talking about, where it's just like... And it's really hot outside, and you finally finish the lawn, and you let your hands go. Do you know what that feels like? It's like, you didn't realize how loud it was because you had gotten accustomed to the loudness and the stress and the struggle. That's what working all the time is like. If you don't let go of the handle of the mower, you will never know how loud and noisy and tired and, you know, just everything is unless you let go. Just trust me on this, Okay. It's going to feel like that. The second, oh, and take the challenge, please, and email me if you have results. I would love to hear them. Second practice is, hello. Got it. Lectio Divina. 
which means divine reading. This is one of my favorite things. It's attentive, meditative reading, and the whole point of it is to slow down, create space and stillness so that we can experience God. Now, most often this practice is applied to the poetic sections of scripture like the Psalms, and this is so because the passages don't just speak, they sing. They are designed to resonate in your heart, to, to change you from inside because of the beauty that's there not just in your mind and intellectually. So I'm gonna lead us this morning in this practice. All you have to do is be still, turn your face. Be still, turn your face. Um, I'm gonna read this very familiar psalm aloud three times, slowly. I chose it because it's very familiar, right? Lectio Divina is not about learning something new. It's not about information. It's about remembering something you've forgotten. It will likely be only during the third reading that you'll be able to hear what God is telling you this morning. God is speaking to you this morning individually through his word. He promises he does this. You just need to open your ears and hear, okay? So I would recommend closing your eyes. If you don't want to do that, you can also look up here. You know this psalm. Put aside what you think you know and listen to God. It's going to be three times, plenty of time to just breathe. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just open the eyes of your heart here one more time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now, if we had lots of time or we were in a small group, we would be able to share with each other what God has said to our hearts. I encourage you to do that sometime today. What words did God speak to you uh, during the chapel? The subtitle of my talk today is Poetry and the Practice of Stillness. This is a poem. Because I want to suggest a third practice, something scandalous, that will help train you in this kind of deep attentiveness that I'm saying is necessary for listening to God. Indeed, for seeing what is really true about you and about God and about the created world. And that is the regular reading of poetry. Not in a class, necessarily. Although it's not, you know, doesn't, it can happen in a class. And it's not a substitute for reading scripture. There's no substitute for that. But as a leisure activity, it can be very restorative and indeed recreative. It can be like taking walks in nature, painting, or making music. Now, why is that the case? One of my favorite books of all time is this book called Leisure, the Basis of Culture by Joseph Pieper. The argument goes something like this. When we work all of the time, secular time, we go home exhausted and don't have energy to do anything that's actually restorative, so we just consume. Now today that means Netflix binges and things like that. Now again, there's nothing wrong with Netflix. Oh my gosh, I watch a lot of TV, okay? It's the fact that we are too tired to do anything else but work, consume, and repeat. That's the problem. It's actually from working too much and working all of the time that we're deprived of leisure time. Pieper contrasts that kind of entertainment with leisure, and this is what he says about it. I love this. Leisure is a form of that stillness that is the necessary preparation for accepting reality. Only the person who is still can hear, and whoever is not still cannot hear. Oh my gosh, are we a busy, active culture or what? You can't hear if you're not still, he says. Such stillness as this is not mere soundlessness or dead muteness. It means, rather, that the soul's power as real of responding to the real, a co-respondence eternally established in nature, has not yet descended into words. Leisure is the disposition of receptive understanding, of contemplative beholding and immersion in the real. Wow. It's a state of mind. It's a disposition. Notice what he's saying here. Leisure, time, and space is required to get into the mode of receptive understanding. What we are learning to understand is nothing less than what is real. What is true about you, what's true about God, what's true about the world. Not those thoughts and feelings that just run into your head all the time. The truth. This can only be learned by attentive, receptive stillness. Be still and know that I am God. God's not going to compete with your cell phone, you guys. He doesn't, he's just not going to do that. You have to decide to put that away and give him your attention. So I'm not talking about reading poetry as an academic exercise. I'm talking about it as a means of discovery, a means of activating your imagination to understand the world's reality is spiritual to its core and its beautiful beauty that will draw you to it. Here's what the great poet Lee Young Lee said about it. Oh, so good. I think poetry provides a very important service. It uncovers our deepest identity. When we read a poem, that's what we get, our deepest identity, who we are fully. 
Religion is a path to this uncovering, but it's not as immediate. Poetry provides a very deep, immediate service, like a church service. It's proof of contact with God. Proof that contact with God is possible and not through a middleman. Read Emily Dickinson through all her quarrels. She affirms this, and he's 100% right about Emily Dickinson, by the way. But again, let me be clear. Poetry as practice is something that by definition slows us down, makes us still. Less is always more with poetry. So my challenge is very simple. Read a volume of poetry very slowly, maybe one poem a day or even just one poem a week. Ideally during your Sabbath rest that you're going to do because you're going to do that, right? Uh, And unrushed. So let me share share with you my recommendation, a favorite poet and a favorite poem. The poet is Denise Levertov, and the poem is called The Avowal. And I will read it three times to let it sink in, and then I'll suggest some things about reality that it's trying to teach us. I love this poem, and I love this poet. The Avowal. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them, as hawks rest upon air and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all-surrounding grace. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them, as hawks rest upon air and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all surrounding grace. And then one more time, and you'll probably really hear it now. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them, as hawks rest upon air and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all surrounding grace. Now, if you like that poem, this is a perfect stock, stocking stuffer for you, Stream in the Sapphire by Denise Levertop. To go back, I will note only one of the many realities that this poem teaches and then leave you to your day. And that is that our job is to learn to attain free fall. Right? Our job is to learn to attain free fall. It's God who holds us in his embrace. That's his job. Right? Now think about the whole thing, the whole idea of a trust fall. You guys have done ropes courses, right? Trust fall. You're there on a little platform and everybody's you know, supposedly going to catch you. And if they don't, then you have trust issues for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> you lean back. Think about that. You have to lean back. The people down there don't push you off. God's not going to force you into his embrace, right? You have to learn to attain the free fall. The poem itself puts it on a separate line so that you stop, and there's this split second where you you wonder, is he going to be there? But he is. You attain free fall and float. Because comma, float. It's on the same line. Do you see how it's on the same line? And then the longest line in the poem is into creator spirit's deep embrace. He's there all along. 
Now, in light of the challenges that I've delivered for you today, this means that attaining free fall is trusting that when you keep the Sabbath, God has your back, right? You'll get your work done. None of the excuses that you can come up with are going to convince me who's done, been taking Sabbath for over 30 years that you can't get your work done. I've written a number of books too, by the way. Right? You don't need to live in fear, rushing around like the people who don't believe that God is real and his economy and his time is what's actually true. All right? Don't act like that. We have such a gift in, in being able to rest in him for once a week. It's a gift. Enjoy it. Beloved, do not let this anxious, restless, and unhappy world distract you from the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. God is real. God loves us. God restores our souls. So thank you for listening to me today. And let me close by prayer uh, along with the Apostle Paul, this really great prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.